If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour, episode number 16, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. And me, Ravi Abbott. And episode sweet 16 already. Yeah, you're not going to have a hissy fit like on MTV, <laughs> are you? <laughs> I haven't got anyone as rich to pay for my party as, uh, as those <laughs> ones do. So uh, if you're new to the show, Ravi and I do the show every Friday. We talk about the big retro technology and gaming stories. And uh, after we talk about the technology stories, we have a guest on the show who is uh, noteworthy in the history or current arena of retro gaming. And who we got this week? Well, we've got Zach Weddington, and he's from Viva Amiga. Finally, we've got some news about it, guys, and it's going to come out. Now, for people who may not be familiar with this, this week's show is going to be a little bit Amiga-centric. We make no secret of the fact that we love the Amiga. But there is this film. It was originally a Kickstarter, wasn't it? Yeah, Um, and... They've, they've actually proposed a couple of other Amiga films whilst right. this has been going on. So, okay. you know, this was the original one, though. This was the, the big swan song for Amiga. Well, there have been yeah, other films that have come out since. Um, I think it was originally about 2009, I think the Kickstarter started, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Quite a while ago, but um, from what we've seen of the film, and Ravi and I have actually seen a little preview of it um, at a couple of Amiga shows. And from people we know that have actually watched the entire thing, it's been worth the wait. Oh, yeah, and the people that are in it. It's mm-hmm. just an insane list of people. You know, everybody's there. So. Yeah. Including uh, Dave Needle, who, of course, passed away recently. I think yeah. this is one of Dave's last ever interviews. He's yeah. going to be in this film as well. So um, Zach's a really interesting guy as well. We're going to get the inside story of making Viva Amiga, when it will be out, how you can get hold of it. So he's going to be on in about half an hour from now. And speaking of the Amiga, it's important to keep these machines alive. Totally. And, you know, you've got them stored in attics and you think they're all safe and sound, but there could be things going on. Mm, Secret killers. Yep. So we've got a a guest coming on, Joseph, that's going to give us top five tips on how to maintain your old machines. Yeah, so if you've got any uh, old computers that you're neglecting, maybe. Uh, Joseph works on repairs, doesn't he? um, Yeah, he's just fixed my 4,000 card, so he's just replaced all the capacitors, given it a nice clean and, Mm -hmm. you know sending me back so it's really good service and he's got a good background work for Nokia back in the day he was saying um, so yeah if you've got any old machines that you want to maintain he's going to give you the top five tips on uh, keeping them alive because we think that's important yeah because you may think they're safe but they're not <laughs> right so this week's stories let's start with a new Commodore 64 oh yeah Dan this is one for you this is the uh, Commodore 64 but also handheld so they're going to have a desktop version with HDMI out but also wow. a handheld one that looks quite like the little Vega. Yeah. The well, Vega Plus. Well, they're kind of saying this is hot on the heels of the um, the Vega Plus, which, uh, if you didn't see that, that's kind of a recreated Spectrum. And uh, this looks pretty slick, I've got to say. I mean, you look at the case, it looks slightly smaller, maybe a little bit less tall than a Commodore 64. Yeah. Um, but the keys are there, aren't they? The big yeah. chunky keys and the kind of, you know, the feel of it. But also, they're saying the price is going to be quite good. The computer version mm-hmm. is going to be £105. Yeah. And the handheld is $170. And that comes with a nice LCD screen built in by the looks of it as well. Yeah. Uh, micro HDMI, so you can plug it into a monitor. And uh, so this is essentially, it's a recreated Commodore 64. The 64SX, apparently. Okay. Because I remember there was 
a few years ago, do you remember there was that kind of PC in a Commodore 64 case? Yes, by... Uh, Commodore uh, USA. Commodore USA, that, that was, was it, yeah. I remember that because they managed to somehow get it advertised on the Tron DVDs as well. Yeah, I th- it was it was on a lot of tech sites as well, but what yeah. that essentially was, it was like, you know, a Windows PC in a recreated Commodore 64 case, but it sold for like, you know, something ridiculous like $1,000 or something, didn't it? Yeah. Um, and it, there wasn't many released, but there have been a few that I've seen on um, on YouTube. This is completely different, though. This is basically a recreation of the original C64. And it's all over the news. And I, I, I think this is, honestly, you're right. I think it's due to the Spectrum Vega mm-hmm. because that blew records with its uh, funding. Yeah. You know, it went far over the funding that it's got. So other people have probably seen it and gone, Ooh. Well, it's more authentic than playing an emulator. And for machine that, you know, for people that don't want to invest in, like, 30-year-old hardware and get ones that have been left out in the sun or, like, you know, yeah. thrown in an attic or a dusty garage or something. Or rip one apart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I've done that in the past, made machines out of, like, you know, three dead ones. <laughs> <laughs> but with this, at the moment, it's a Kickstarter. Well, it's actually an Indiegogo. Uh, they're looking to raise £150,000, um, and they've got um, 9000 already, so still a bit yeah. of a way to go. Yep. But um, we'll uh, pop links in the show now at theretrohour.com if you'd like to find out more and uh, show you back in for a new Commodore 64. Now, speaking of... Um, kickstarters a new amiga case again yeah a new amiga case so this is another case that's come uh i don't know what's been happening with these molds of mm-hmm. the original amiga maybe they've been passed around the kickstart community but um this one's an interesting one because it's designed for classic amigas but also for the old ones to be upgradable uh mini itx form factors mm-hmm. raspberry pi as well so this is an amiga 1200 case um, modified to also fit, like yeah, like you said, a Mini ITX or a Raspberry Pi, or it can hold an original Amiga 1200 motherboard. Yeah, um, there's a few nice kind of improvements have made on it as well, um, including there's um, two bays in there, 3.5 um, inch extension bays, and also there's pre-cut USB connection holes as well. They're saying, yeah, and you can kind of use it as a keyboard stand as well. There's a version where you can slide <laughs> the keyboard off. It looks quite odd, but um, it's officially endorsed by Amiga Inc. Now, a lot of these cases have been endorsed by Amiga Inc. I didn't know they were still alive. No, well, I remember it was a couple of years ago they made games for the BlackBerry. Ah, yes, yes, remember? the BlackBerry game, yeah. And that was the last time I think anyone heard of uh, Bill McEwen, who I think was the guy that, you know, still owns the Amiga trademark. Heard that he, he's like a truck driver or something now. Yeah, yeah, so. no, he was a truck driver before. I don't know what he's doing now, but... Uh... Selling cases by the looks of it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I know there is a lot of cases out there for the Amiga 1200 at the moment. But you're right, though, it does all, all seem to be the 1200 that they're making them for. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be nice to get some new 500 or 600 cases. and That, that would be quite sweet, actually. But I don't know if they have the moulds for the uh, 500 and 600. So that's the thing. I don't know if these are original moulds or whether they're just recreations, but mm. there you go. It's uh, you know, If you have got an Amiga 1200 that's looking a bit tatty or a bit yellow, it's easy enough to get hold of a new case for it these days, at least. Yep. Or <laughs> you could do what I did, which was Retrobrite. Right, okay, that? so we, we've discussed Retrobrite briefly on the show before. Now, for those who may not have heard what it is, explain. Retrobrite is a a kind of way of reversing the process of yellowing in plastics. So they used to put this uh, chemical in there, which was the flame-resistant chemical, mm-hmm. and that basically turned everything plastic. Bromite. I think Bromite, yeah. yes. And uh, Retrobite was a kind of solution made up that mm-hmm. you could use and you'd paste your machine in that, leave it out in the sun, and the sun would actually bleach it back to its original colour. So it reverses this process. Totally reverses the process. Now, I found a much cheaper way of doing it, which is just basically getting this colorissimo hair dye. Peroxide, basically. Peroxide, yeah, yeah, from my girlfriend. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, 
sticking it in a zip bag and then chucking it out in the sun so it doesn't dry out. And I've managed to make a load of things just look <laughs> museum grade, you know, original style. And Ravi's girlfriend is in the studio as well if you hear some snoring in the background. <laughs> Are you okay? Fine. He's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I remember reading about Retro Bright originally though and it was quite a complex formula, wasn't it? You needed like um, that vanish kind of powder and... Yeah, because you needed thickening agents, yeah. you needed oxyaxin, you needed everything to kind of thicken out this bleach. Mm -hmm. But this peroxide stuff has the thickening agents yeah. in anyway, so it's just hair cream. I actually got one in boots, but I think the important bit is the, is it the strength? The percentage. percentage. I'm only using 12% at the moment. A lot of people use 40%, but 12 seems to work fine. Mm -hmm. Would 40% get you arrested buying that online? <laughs> I don't know, yeah. <laughs> so it's get a bit risky there. <laughs> so, yeah, but what you essentially do then, you cover them up. Um, there's guys, I mean, you actually done a video on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ago, I've you? done that. Uh, it was with another brand of... A Dreamcast. Yeah, yeah, a Dreamcast lid. Uh, another brand of hair dye that wasn't mm -hmm. as powerful as this. Right, okay. Called Bee Blonde. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I bought, yeah, from yeah, Boots. Yeah. So you essentially, you cover your yellowed plastic in this, kind of cover it so it doesn't dry out, then yeah. leave it in the sun or put it under an ultraviolet light. Yeah, you can do that if you live in a non-sunny country. Mm -hmm. Like we do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually got one of those black lights off eBay. I think I got it, but it was only about £13. Um, but I've kind of got all the bits to do retro bright, but I've yeah. not done it yet. So you just chuck it out on your balcony, Dan. It will look, yeah. look wonderful afterwards. Problem is with my flat, it's only light until about midday, and then like over, you know the sun goes over my house, and then I don't get any sunlight. Yeah, that's it. You're going to be chasing it around. <laughs> what I think I've got an idea of doing though is leaving it in the back of my car or in the car park. That my neighbours might give me funny looks. Yeah, like, <laughs> sitting with all those computer keyboards in the back of his car, covered in white stuff. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> so yeah, if you want to find out more about retro brighting, uh, we'll pop you a link to Ravi's video. He explains it all. Yeah. <laughs> now, Apple have uh, said something a little bit outrageous, haven't they? Uh, yes, uh, Phil Schiller. Phil Schiller. Yeah, he made a comment at a, a big keynote event. Mm -hmm. And he was basically saying that it's sad that people are using five-year old computers. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the reaction's been quite uh, bad towards this. <laughs> and uh, a lot of Apple people have said, well, if your products weren't so expensive, mm -hmm. then we would be able to upgrade. Yeah, well, he did this. It was at the announcement of the iPad Pro mm. um, back in the last month. But you're right, this story like seems to be continuing. I mean, I'm looking. Some of the tweets, there's an article on there, dailydot.com, and they kind of covered it. His exact quote was that there are still 600 million people that are using PCs that are more than five years old. And he said, that's really sad. I don't know. We must be real sad. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 30 year old computers. What does that make yeah. us, dude? <laughs> That's it. The freaks. But I've got, you know, I've got old Macs, like old PowerPC Macs, and I still, my G5 still gets a lot of daily use. You know, it's yeah. still good for a lot of stuff. I've got new Macs as well, but I think even my like MacBook Pro. That's probably about six years old now. Yeah, yeah. But I think the trend is, though, which it surprised me that he said this. I mean, that was probably just an off-the-cuff comment, I guess. But the fact is, I think, you know, the new Macs that are out now are actually less powerful or got lower specs than my Mac that I bought like six years ago because they haven't got a hard disk and they've got an SSD. So mm. my Mac's got like um, 500 gigabyte. The new like MacBook Airs and I only have 128 because it's SSDs. Yeah. Um, but the trend has been for basically operating systems to need less resources in recent years. But also more. the trend's also been to n not have things upgradable. Mm -hmm. So say you've had a, a, a laptop. Mm -hmm. They've had soldered on RAM. Yeah. Quite a lot. And, you know, back in the days you could upgrade it. Even I remember the old Macs, they were saying, oh, it won't support 8 gigs of RAM and you could still put it in. Yeah, you don't get to buy Apple RAM as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the MacBook Air, you can't, you can't upgrade on that. There's, mm. You know, new machines, they're kind of limiting the uh, 
expansion of them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I've got, you know, my MacBook Pro, I think, is the last one where you can actually take the RAM out and swap the hard disk if you want yeah. to. The model after that, you couldn't. And I've just got a, a Mac Mini, um, one of the i5 Mac Minis. Yeah. And, yeah, they changed that as well. On the, on the 2014 model, you can just unscrew the bottom and you got access to the RAM and all that. But on mine, it's a completely sealed unit. And like yeah. you said, the RAM's all soldered to the motherboard. So you've got to get your spec in the shop what you want. Otherwise, you're going to be buying a new yeah, machine. Yeah, that's it. So. You know, new machine, no upgrades, uh, cheap upgrades. But on this same note as well, mm-hmm. uh, on Cult of Mac, they've posted the question recently to Apple, and it was, um, how long is the lifespan of a kind of Apple product or yeah. a operating system? And there's some interest- interesting things they're saying here. They're saying the iMac, the MacBook, and the Apple TV is roughly four years. Right. So that's how long they expect it to be relevant and not obsolete. And the watch OSs is three years. So when did you get your watch? Uh, well, on launch, yeah, a year ago. So Two years left, yeah. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the time ticking on it now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I guess, you know, I think, you know, technology these days is built a bit more disposable than it used to be. I think, you know, I often question, you know, how many Xbox 360s and that'll still be working in like, you know, 10, 20 years. Probably yeah, how many f- Xbox 360s are working now? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like, um, yeah, I think that probably is right with Apple, though. I mean, Apple are kind of a company that you either upgrade or you die. You know, the first the first iPad, that, that got the drop support after two years of that being on sale. Yeah. And you couldn't, the thing is with iOS and stuff as well, all your apps say, you know, we won't work anymore, you need to upgrade your OS. But then if you can't upgrade the OS and it, it's, Useless, isn't it? Essentially, that's it, and and that's because they've locked it off. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, probably could support it, but they just yeah. don't want you to. They want you to buy a new model. So it's crazy. Well, talking about mass-produced machines, mm-hmm. we have here Britain's first mass-produced machine has gone on display at Bletchley Park. And do you know about Bletchley Park, Dan? Yeah, well, I've never been there before, but obviously World War Two. That was uh, was it Colossal Colossus Colossus, Colossus yes, yeah. which was Winston Churchill's massive machine that he'd commissioned, mm-hmm. and they also have the bomb machine, which was used to decipher the Enigma code. Yeah. So this whole place was kind of where a lot of the computing technology was born. Alan Turing, yeah, a lot of his works recently they even found shoved in the wall pieces oh, of really? paper from Alan Turing no that still had new equations in them and new kind of well, even information. Break, even breaking the Enigma code, I mean, I've watched documentaries about Alan Turing and stuff, and it's like how complex that code was. And you'd never think, you know, even with today's computers, you could break it. But the fact that, it, you know, they built this machine and it just like they could decipher all these codes is pretty incredible. Well, this machine uh, that I'm talking about is called the the Hollyriff Electronic Computer, HEC-1. HEC-1. What the yeah. heck? <laughs> yeah, and it looks like a heck of a size as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was... Um, I've never heard of this machine before. I mean, it's a mainframe system, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, and I can't imagine many people had any of these in their house. Uh, but there is something very sexy about these old machines, and this is... Um, <laughs> apparently, it was small by 1950s standards. Yeah, reckon. so, you know, this would probably be a giant valve machine as well. And Yeah, before ICs. Yeah, and, you know, you can go and see these and... At Bletchley Park, and they actually have like these old dudes that have spent ages restoring them that yeah. know everything about it still. You've been there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I've been there because they had a, a, an Amiga show there <laughs> quite mm-hmm. a while ago. You know, I, I've been to some computer museums, um, the Technology Museum in London, and that I've been to, and you see the old Cray, like you know, workstations. Yeah, and the, yeah, and the you can see the Babbage difference engine and stuff in the Science Museum in yeah, London. Yeah. And it, it's amazing that to see them, and you think you're just looking at that, and you think your watch or a mobile phone has got like a hundred times the power at least. And that's it. And, you know, Britain, 
we 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 helped birth the digital computer. Mm-hmm. That was the, a great thing that came out of World War Two technology, and mm-hmm. I think. In Britain, we should go and actually see it because guys can't yeah. come and see the difference engine in America. You know, they can't go and see these Colossus or Enigma-solving machines and they're, they're all available and it's all great history. Yeah, I mean, I've never been, but yeah, it's the National Museum of Computing at Bletchley Park, isn't it? Yeah. That's what it is, yeah. So it's definitely on my to-visit list. Um, but yeah, this machine just looks awesome as well. I mean, I'm looking at a picture of it here and they reckon actually, you know, it isn't actually that big. It's 1.5 by 3 metres. Um, yeah, it just looks cool though, dude. Well, well, the coolest thing at Bletchley Park was I went into this one little hut mm-hmm. and they had radios from all over the world and there was a guy and you've seen James Bond. Yeah. Do you know Q? Yeah, yeah. He, he had a blonde moustache and he came up exactly like Q <laughs> and then taught me through every one of these radios and showed me all the old spy <laughs> stuff. It was amazing. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a spy, aren't you? I know. You're <laughs> <him>, yeah. That's <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it looks cool, though. So if you want to go see this machine, um, we'll post a picture of it and uh, links to where you can find it at theretrohour.com. Now, we are talking before about maintaining old machines. So uh, let's have a little guest on now who's going to chat to us for five minutes. Um, Josef, or Joseph, who um, actually does computer repairs and repairs Amigas and consoles as well. Um, we thought we'd get a few tips off him to find out how you should preserve your old hardware. So hello, Josef. Uh, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, we thought we'd get you on because um, you do repairs to um, classic machines in particular the Amiga then. Do you do this as a business? Uh, no, it's not really a business. It's more like a hobby. Mm-hmm. I used to do uh, recaps and repairs previously for myself and for my friends. And uh, at, at one point, you know, I had like more times on my hand and I was just trying to, thinking to strike out and maybe offer it to others because mainly I've seen so many bad recap jobs out there in the wild. And I, I look at the quality and then I can say, okay, I can do this better. So that's how this thing is started. Well, Joseph, you've prepared like the top five tips then for keeping these old machines in good working order. So um, what's number five? Uh, number five would be uh, basically people ask me what is a good uh, beginner gaming generic use setup for Amigas. Uh, I would recommend an Amiga 1200 with a Blizzard 1230 Mark IV accelerator. Uh, basically, this accelerator is like a, a, a good mid-range accelerator. It gives you a 50 megahertz or 30 CPU, and you can upgrade to all the way to 128 megabyte RAM. But you don't need that much, actually. If you think of VHD load, which I'm sure most Amigans know what it is for, it's basically you can have floppy disk images on a hard drive and run your games without swapping floppy disk. You just need as little as 8 megabyte or 16 megabyte RAM. You can get it as, as, as little as 50 or 80 euros, and, and that will run fine. Most games will run. Slap a CF card in there, and then you have a pretty decent gaming setup, and off you go. Or if you are on a budget, then what you can do, you just get yourself an Amiga 500. Amiga 500 like runs all of the games, 96%, and get yourself a GoTech drive. Uh, this is basically a floppy emulator where you can put floppy images on a USB key and off you go. No disk swaps. It will be a bit slower than a 1200, but uh, you can set this up for, let's say, 50 or 60 euro if you can catch a used one for a good price. And your next tip then is a bit more um, related to a lot of old hardware. Yeah, um, that's right. Uh, number uh, Next one would be uh, power supply issues. Uh, I've seen a lot of problems caused by uh, faulty failing uh, power supplies where the voltages are basically not up to par what uh, the specification uh, says they should be. Uh, This is mostly seen on uh, Amiga systems like Amiga 500 or 1200 where the power supplies are simply not strong enough to support enough current for the accelerators that are in the machine that you add. 
So 2.5 amps is pretty common for some setups, but get yourself a 4.5 amp power supply and you'll be fine. Uh, you can also change the capacitors, uh, but power supplies, I don't see them uh, failing due to capacitors. It's simply they're just old and they don't function up to specifications. You can see also with other systems like Commodore 64, especially the old wedge-shaped power supplies, they simply overheat and uh, they, they just break down and uh, they could also damage your machines. If you see mysterious issues with your hardware setup when you're tinkering with accelerators and add-ons, just, just make sure that you have a known good power supply that gives out nominal voltage and uh, that, that could solve a lot of issues. And what's next? Next would be uh, recaps. I suppose uh, it's not a surprise. There's a lot of info flying around online about this topic. It's a huge topic. We could talk about it forever. But for now, in short, most of these machines are over 20 years old. Capacitors have a lifetime that is related to temperatures and hours spent at a certain temperature. So the, the caps are way over their shelf lives uh, in most of these machines. Not all the systems, uh, I mean, I'm not talking about Amigas, uh, SNS, Turbo Duo, game systems, any machine that has so-called SMD-style capacitors. These are the small capacitors that sit on the surface of the board. Not the through-hole ones, so, yeah. Yeah, 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 don't have legs, basically. These caps, they basically just die. And uh, the machine will function, actually. You will, you will not have, like, immediate issues. But what happens is that as you turn the machine on and the, the machine warms up, electrolyte leaks out at the bottom of the cap. And it starts leaking. And this is highly corrosive stuff. So it starts eating away the, uh, the copper tracks of the board. This is like really bad. So if you have any system that you know hasn't been recapped, if you can do it yourself, fine. If you have enough experience or the right equipment, be care very careful with this. If not, send it to someone who can do it for you. Get them recapped ASAP because it will just, just cause you a lot of headache in the future. It, it makes us terrible mess sometimes almost as bad as the battery. <laughs> well, that's number one then, isn't it? The battery. Why is this important to look at? They have the same problem as capacitors, basically. They way past their shelf life. They have electrolytes in them, and they're even more potent. And in quantity, there's more, because a big barrel battery obviously contains more base than a small capacitor. Effect, result is the same. The longer you wait, the, the longer it will just, just, just wreak havoc on the board. So if you see any battery that is old in an Amiga motherboard or any other system, these barrel types that usually that, that look like a, a small barrel, about one centimeter wide, clip them off ASAP at any cost, because it, it actually they can corrode much, much faster than capacitors. Capacitors are a smaller uh, quantity, and also the process is quite slow with capacitors. So it could take some months or years to, to do the effect, but batteries, they are very fast. But you're right, I mean, there are a lot of people that probably will have these old machines in their attic, and they think they're all right, but, you know, these batteries are leaking away, aren't they? Yeah, basically, uh, the effect is, there is a lot of discussion going on how leaking batteries or leaking capacitors happen. I have my own theory. As I said earlier, uh, if you look at the data sheet of batteries or capacitors, the lifetime of them is given hours per a certain temperature. So basically, say if you had an Amiga, you bought them in the 90s, used it a little bit, then put it away and never turned it on until today, you have a very, very good chance that you have no corrosion on your motherboard. Okay. Now, no corrosion doesn't mean no leakage, but or the capacitors are working. The capacitors have probably failed by now. 
but there's no corrosion. And why is that? Because the machine hasn't been turned on, temperature stayed low, and the electrolyte stayed inside the capacitor. So as soon as you take it out of the attic, let's say 15 years later, you turn on the machine, it warms up, and, and then the leak starts. And this is what happens that people say, oh, they take out their Amigas 10 years, turn it on, play around, oh, it still works, everything is fine. They put it back, and then the leakage started. A few years later, they look at it again, and it's absolute havoc. So Why is it not working? Yeah, yeah I've seen some... Uh, <laughs> yeah, why is it not working? And really then they take it apart, pictures. and the reaper cost is much, much higher mm -hmm. than recap. So if you have any machine that hasn't been recapped, please, please, please do a recap, and you won't regret it. You save money and headache, no doubt about it. Well, Yosef, those are really important tips. Um, and if people want to find out a bit more, then maybe use your services. How can they get hold of you? Yeah, sure. Uh, they can go to BBOH, uh, that is Big Book of AmigaHardware.com. And I have a banner up there that says Amiga Recap Service. And you click on that banner, and you can, there's a contact form. There's plenty of pictures for reference and explanation of the capacitors, and off you go. Thank you very much for coming on, then. Important advice there, and um, keep these machines alive for as long as possible. That's a lesson, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. Thank you, Yosef. Now, this is quite exciting for fans of the Nintendo 64. They're going to be releasing something called the Ultimate Book. Oh, this looks really nicely done as well. Now, this is a, a Kickstarter. There seems to be a lot of them around at the moment. What this essentially is, is anyone that loved the Nintendo 64, um, I think will want to have this in their collection. There's a little um, video, as a lot of Kickstarters do, where you can kind of see the design of it and everything. It is a book that's 372 pages long, and it is essentially everything you could ever want to know about the N64. You're an N64 owner, aren't you? I am, so yeah. You've got you've got a vested interest in this. Well, I am. I mean, it says here they talk about you know there's 388 game reviews in here. Oh wow! Um, they kind of it's the most comprehensive book on games, but also there's quite a big section on games that never were. You know, stuff that never got released on it. Yeah, there's a there's a big section on GoldenEye as well, which looks interesting because uh, we might be having someone from GoldenEye on soon. Oh, little teaser. Yeah. <laughs> but essentially, I mean, the N64, it was kind of, it's a machine that a lot of people have got fond memories of, but you could also say, you know, it was a machine that was kind of slaughtered a bit when the PlayStation came out. Of course, it still used cartridges. But um, I yeah, think... Yeah, but also it, it, it provided that complete differentness. You know, no platformer had been able to do 3D mm -hmm. or, or that kind of exploring a land. like that open wilderness. Marry, that, that's the word, open yeah. wilderness. Yeah, mm -hmm. no one had been able to do that until the N64. They've not been able to do it successfully. No. Yeah, I mean, the PlayStation was very different, wasn't it? But, I mean, yeah. everyone remembers probably the first time you played, like, you know, Super Mario 3D and, like, it, it blew you away. But I think the thing about It was then, different to anything else, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'd never seen anything like that. And it was like... I remember as well that it was hype for so long. Do you remember it was the um, Ultra 64, they called it at first, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, it. And everyone thought that was going to be the name. And also, there was a lot of innovation on there, if you think about it. You know, the Rumble Pack mm -hmm. yeah. was one, the kind of plugging memory cards into things, expansion packs and stuff. And it was Silicon Graphics as well, who they partnered with for it, who, yeah. you know, at the time were like graphics out of this world, weren't they? It was, totally. You know what I mean? So, I'm not a massive Nintendo guy, but I think out of all the Nintendo machines, the N64 is probably the one that I've got most affection for. Yeah, the one that I can sit and play the most on is an N64. Yeah, the SNES is great as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing, and I know I'm going to get hate from N64 fans for saying this, that, that controller. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a massive fan, if I'm honest. <laughs> but I know it has its fans. Um, but if you are interested in this book, though, it looks, you know, for anyone who loves the N64, I'd say this is an essential buy. And uh, they're already halfway towards a Kickstarter goal as well. So. Oh, wow. So this one's probably going to come out. Yeah, there is. Well, there's only 20 days left. So okay. <laughs> if you want to back it, everything you need to know will be at theretrohour.com. Our final story this week, then. <laughs> this is quite an amusing one. Uh, pranksters go dumpster diving 
and sell their games back to GameStop. <laughs> what? So they're going around the back of GameStop, getting all the crap they've chucked out and then trading it in. Going at the front of the shop and selling the, <laughs> the disc back to them, yeah. <laughs> That's genius. How did how did they find out? What was it? It's these two guys who are uh, kind of YouTube pranksters, yeah. you could say. So what they've done is, yeah, GameStop, if you know, maybe you live in Europe and you're not aware of who they are, they're kind of the, the biggest physical game retailer in America. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of shops, I think, are guilty of this. They get some kind of old stock that they can't sell and they just throw it out the back of the shop in, in a bin. Totally, they do that with food as well, <laughs> all items. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. So uh, there's a thing called dumpster diving, which is basically guys who go in the back of shops, look look inside the bins and then pull stuff well, out. Well, the, the original dumpster divers were um, freakers, phone freakers, who, right. were the, who were the early hackers. And what they would do, they'd go to the back of the phone exchange and all the manuals and stuff for the guys that would put the phone lines in and have secret numbers and stuff, they'd just pick them up have all these lists of secret numbers or how the phone system works. And that was how this knowledge of hacking and kind of stuff was created, just searching through bins. <laughs> <laughs> the phone company just give it away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Well, um, well, well, these guys are, so they went around the back of this GameStop, uh, their local one, and uh, picked up a few games, including there's some stuff here they threw out that was um, like Grand Theft Auto V on the 360. Wow. Um, but apparently, you know, the Xbox, the original 360, if yeah. you ever gave the console a bit of a knock, and this has happened to me before, you kind of get scratch rings around, yeah, the, around yeah, the disc. Yeah, I've seen those. So yeah. it damages them, and apparently this, this disc had that. But they had a few of them, and they went around the front of the shop, went in, said to the girl behind the counter, can we trade in these games? And she's like, she looked at them, and even though it had all these scratches on, she approved them, and was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine, we'll give you some, you know, either store credit, or um, in the end they gave them money. So as they're about to leave, they've got the money off the girl. The guy actually says, he taps on them and goes, um, I hope we don't find these in the dumpster again tomorrow. <laughs> And she apparently went like, you know, I mean, she, she's like, oh, and she rang the police. Wow. So there's a video of these guys driving home. And obviously, you know, you've got to give your details when you're trading games, you know, yeah. an address and phone number. And the police actually call them when they're in the car and, you know, basically tell them this is illegal and stuff like that. They can't do it. And uh, the girl apparently made the story that they were like hooligans and they were threatening to like break in the shop and smash it up. So obviously she was embarrassed that, you know, she'd kind of got caught out doing this, I think. Well, one man's trash is another one's treasure, isn't it? So. Well, the, the whole thing, they got, um, they got a whole $7 for the games. So. <laughs> <laughs> was it worth it? <laughs> exactly. So it is quite a funny video, though. And uh, it's just crazy, though, because I was, have you heard of a, there's a YouTuber called um, Review Tech USA? No, I haven't. He's really good. He's a lot of like, um, kind of contemporary game news and stuff. But he does a little interview with these guys for about 15 minutes. He uploaded it yesterday. And he, he gets kind of their side of the story. But they, they also mention in that interview that, you know, when all games eventually go digital, which you know they are, mm. brick-and-mortar retailers are going to rely on the sole games market probably to prop them up for a few years before they all go bankrupt or whatever. Yeah. So they should be, like, taking more pride in the things they accept in the shop. It kind of showed that they'll accept stuff that was in their bin like yesterday. I'm really tempted to just go looking in the bins of game shops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll see what I come up with. I'll see you around the back of game in about an hour, yeah? yeah. <laughs> right, thank you for listening to this week's episode, guys. You can get it every week next Friday from the RetroHour.com or your favourite podcast client now. One for the hardcore Amiga fans. Yes, we've got Zach and he's finally going to tell us about Viva Amiga. So if you've got any interest in checking out this documentary, Zach Weddington for the next half an hour on the Retro Hour and we'll catch you next Friday. Catch you next Friday. So welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, Zach Weddington from Viva Amiga. How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing great, you guys. Now, obviously this movie, we've been anticipating this for a long time now, Viva Amiga. Um, which we'll talk more about the documentary and the creation process in a moment. But I thought it'd be quite nice to get a bit of background on you first, Zach. So um, 
What was your first computer experience? Gosh, let's see. Um, that would be with a TRS-80. <laughs> wow. <we all> <laughs> Back in like 1983, yeah. Um, my dad was an engineering kind of guy, and um, he was, you know, really excited about this prospect of home computers. And so, you know, I think he kind of bought it for himself. <laughs> but uh, like a lot of presents he bought, it's like, well, it's for the family, you know. But uh, it, it was for him. But you know, we, we worked on it together, and I learned how to program in BASIC. Back then, doing uh, just real simple video games, and um, you know, we could—I could even see back at you know age like six or seven that computers were the future, and you know, here here we are. You were right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was your first Amiga experience then? You know, uh, around around when I was, uh, I guess, about eleven or twelve, I was really captivated by computer animation. Uh, you were starting to see that on TV and stuff, and. Uh, it's a real famous music video for this band called Dire Straits, yeah. which featured some, you know, some real primitive uh, computer animation. But, you know, back then it was just really, really cool looking. And I asked my dad, you know, how, how they did that. And uh, he's like, well, you know, they did it on computers. So um, I was like, well, I need to get a newer one, I guess. And um, he bought me an IBM PS2. Um, I thought it was great, but it didn't take us too long to figure out that we couldn't really do anything that cool with it in terms of uh, graphics. So uh, I was a little disappointed. About six months later, as I was uh, walking through a shopping mall, and inside of this uh, bookstore uh, in the back, they were trying to sell a few Amigas. Amigas there, and I saw, you know, I saw the Amiga, you know, running some demos with uh, 3D animation, with ray tracing, all that stuff. And I was like, oh, I guess we should have maybe, maybe got one of those instead. Which model was that? The original? Um, that was just a 500. Okay. So, so yeah, this would be about um, 1988, uh, eight or nine. And um, I mean, I was just like, yeah, well, you know, clearly we got to get one of those. And my, my dad thought I was crazy. I wanted to sell the PS2 and get an Amiga. And thankfully, he let me do that, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> so uh, you were straight away onto D-Pain and doing those anim brushes and stuff. Exactly, yeah. You know, as soon as, as, soon as I got uh, the 500, you know, we, I got Deluxe Paint 3, and I um, picked up a program called um, Turbo Silver, which is one of the first little 3D apps uh, for the Amiga, and I just, you know, I just loved it. You know, I think that Jiggler demo probably sold more Amigas than any of Commodore's advertising, didn't it, back then? I mean, it pretty much said it all. I was, I was like, I was like, if this home computer can figure out how those reflections and shadows go, like what, you know, what can't it do really? Mm -hmm. So moving a little bit then with the, your Amiga experience, how far did you kind of take the Amiga? How long did you stick with it? You know, I stuck with it until, um, around the time of the bankruptcy. Um, I went, I went pretty far with stuff. Um, I, uh, in, in my art, art class in high school, we uh, were lucky enough to have an Amiga 4000. Nice. So I was on there doing some pretty serious, uh, you know, for the time animation with Deep Paint and, and a program called Imagine. And um, even uh, we even had a, a TV uh, studio in our high school. So I was able to take what I did on the Amiga, get it on tape, and then, uh, you know, actually put it into a, an editing studio, add, add music and really come up with a nice presentation. I was always trying to get out of doing essays for class. And I'd go to the teacher and say, hey, you know, instead of me writing an essay, why don't you let me make a little animation about, say, Joan of Arc? <laughs> well, the Amiga inspired that, didn't it? Like creativity. I mean, it was really the first Absolutely. machine I think it did, yeah. Do you remember when you first heard about the bankruptcy then? Yeah, it was actually, I went into our class one day and uh, my teacher came up and he said, hey, did you hear the news? Um, Commodore's, uh, you know, Commodore's is no more. And I was like, wow, uh, okay. And I, I didn't really know what to make of it. That, that was pretty disturbing. And, um, you know, over the next several months, I kept getting 
the magazines in the stores that I could get, it was a lot of uh, like Amiga format uh, English type magazines were the only ones left on the newsstands uh, around where I was after the bankruptcy. So I, you know, I kept up with what was going on. And to be honest with you, when I got into college, um, you know, I went to college uh, starting in 1995. Computers were not such a big deal back then. And uh, I was studying film, and we were still caught in this analog world of actual film cameras and things. And so, to be honest with you, I, I, I stopped using computers for a little while because I just really didn't, didn't see the point if I wasn't going to be using an Amiga. Yeah, so did you see a kind of a, a, a difference with the information of stuff coming from Europe compared to how the uh, uh, US Yeah, absolutely. Was? Like in Europe, it made it seem like it was still a thing, you know. Whereas here in the States, I already had a real difficult time even explaining what an Amiga was because um, – a lot of people, you know, on, on different sides of the ponds really don't know how it was. Like, over here, Amigas just weren't that popular. And uh, definitely by the time of the bankruptcy, like, the writing was on the wall. This wasn't really going to be a thing for much longer. And, um, yeah, it, it wasn't. Hardly anybody really knew about the Amiga here, and it was frustrating. Yes, whereas at my school, everyone I knew had one, you know, here in England. It's, it's, such, it's such a different world, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember, you know, it's crazy to think now, isn't it, that I didn't find out about the bankruptcy probably. I think it was a kid at school came in and mentioned it maybe about a month after it happened. But then because the magazines always worked a month in advance, it was probably like two months until we found out. And finding out news that late in this day and age would be unthinkable, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I, I, I totally kind of forgotten about Amiga. I'd, I'd kept going and I thought they were long gone and then someone said oh they're releasing a new console. I was like they're still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's kind of still going. <laughs> so why did a film about the Amiga need to be made then Zach? I think the best answer I can say is it just really seemed like a damn good idea. Uh, I had started going to these retro um, computer shows here in the States, the Vintage Computer Festival. Um, I was at a VCF East and uh, driving home from that, you know, seeing all of these old machines and people still doing things with them, I, you know, I realized that, that gosh, you know, I've got a retro story that I could try and tell. And, um, you know, I, I, talked to, I talked to people that I knew from that festival and they're like, sure, you know, we can hook you up with some, with some people if you want to interview. And it just, you know, it just kind of spun on from there. So how did you kind of go away, uh, go ahead conducting your research and structuring the whole film? I utilized uh, the network of the people at these computer festivals and also just Facebook. I, very early on, I got a Facebook set up for the film and I would just, you know, throw questions out, out there to the world and, and people would get back to me with information. And um, I started, you know, just kind of putting together what I consider to be a strong narrative in my head and um, found, found the people who, who first would talk to me and second, that I felt really had a, you know, a strong piece of history that, that they could share with us. And, um, you know, over, over the course of about three years, I got all the interviews shot that I felt were necessary and still wanted more, but we, we, we've got lots of them. Were these people hard to track down, any, any of them? No, that's the funny thing. Most of the people in the film, it came really easily because um, what I did is, you know, I, I created that trailer. I, I created the trailer for Kickstarter before there was a film just to show people what it was going to look like and so that they would believe in it. And really, once they saw the trailer, if they had seen it, they, you know, pretty much agreed to meet me. It wasn't it wasn't that hard. There's a couple of people that I that I missed, like uh, Eric Schwartz, mm -hmm. famous Amiga animator. And um, I thought he would be easy to get, but we just lost touch. A couple, couple people like that. But for the most part, I got everybody I wanted. Who was your favorite interview with then? Probably RJ. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just so animated, you know, like I mean, we're sitting there. I, I literally shot that in RJ's living room. Mm -hmm. With a backdrop and lights set up, we turned it into a mini studio, 
And uh, as I'm sitting there with RJ, just watching, you know, his eyes light up and the passion come out. I was like, yeah, we got it now. <laughs> like, like he's, he's going to help carry this thing through. And he does. He's in the quick film quite a bit. It's hard to get an interview with RJ as well. You've got to sit him on the sofa and be there. Yeah. And keep him you you got to yeah. get him sit still for five minutes, really. <laughs> for a guy his age, Joe, he is, he's got the energy of a teenager, hasn't he? <laughs> he really does. In fact, uh, he invited me out to a party at his place about, uh, was that, six weeks ago? Mm-hmm. And um, I never saw anybody so so passionate as a kid, you know, at that age. And it, it is really inspiring. So did you find out any things you were not aware of from these interviews, like new bits of history? Ah, yeah, little things here and there, um, some of which didn't make the cut. Probably some of the most interesting stuff was uh, in that regard is talking to Jeff Porter about some of the inner goings on of Commodore around the time of the bankruptcy and a lot of stuff that seemed, quite frankly, pretty shady. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about Commodore executives who are, um, you know, traveling back and forth from the Caribbean islands <laughs> quite a bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, ha- who have no nationality, technically, so they can, you know, <laughs> do things with tax and whatnot. That's, that was some dirt. I had no idea really what it was like to work for Commodore and finding out that you know, Dave Haney says the best thing you can compare to is like a, you know, million-dollar garage shop. When it was you lying know? around, the place, <laughs> yeah. like they, they were doing it themselves uh, as opposed to, say, you know, working for, you know, say a, a PC clone manufacturer of the time or something like that. It was a very, totally different world. Well, we found out a few stories in Amsterdam that apparently Commodore had a uh, kind of a, a tab at one of the um, local, uh, should we say, ladies clubs there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> visiting bu- businessmen, Oh, apparently. my God, I think I've heard that story, too. <laughs> So obviously, um, you know, on, on a sad note, with the recent passing of Dave Needle, um, obviously, you know, you got to speak to Dave. How's that going to be represented in the movie then? Have you had to make any changes since? We're not going to make changes, but we're dedicating the film to Needle. Mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, probably the, the best thing that I could do there. We're dedicating it to Needle and uh, I'm going to give, a, you know, I'm going to give out uh, some interview clips with him, some special moments um, for the Kickstarter backers so that they can see. That may be a DVD extra as well. But yeah, we're going to dedicate it to him. Um, I've got a good, I've got a good uh, story if you guys want to hear that one. Absolutely. First of all, for any Kickstarter backers that are listening, I want to apologize to you guys that you haven't seen you know, the film in progress before other people. And I have to just say the reason for that is BitTorrent. Because I would be another maybe happier for you guys to, to take a look at it right now. But unfortunately, I, I just can't do that yet. So anytime anybody's seen any of it, it's just been in person for the most part, like you guys may have seen out the show. So first, please, please understand, you guys. And anybody that you know wants to get in touch with me and, and um, find out the real deal, I encourage you to do it. Anyway, so we were out at this Amiga 30th show in the, you know, in the Bay Area out there at the, you know, the, what is that, the IEEE Computer History Museum where we showed. And uh, we actually showed it twice. First night was during kind of like a dinner banquet thing, and um, I saw Needle there in the in the back of the auditorium watching the film, and I could tell he was really into it. I was running around like a nervous wreck, just hoping that I had a good movie on my hands. And, um, you know, the crowd just loved it. So we showed the film a second time the next day. Uh, again, this is a rough cut that we had at the time. Still pretty far along, but uh, anyway, I was... Um, standing on stage for the, the second screening and there was needle right up front, uh, just grinning like a kid. And I could just see on his face that he couldn't wait to watch it again. He was so <laughs> happy to see that somebody had finally made a good movie about the Amiga and told his story. 
And um, honestly, the whole film and all the trials and tribulations I've been through were worth it at that moment because I got to see how happy that guy was. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. You know, I, I had no idea, you know, like everybody else, it was a real shock when, when that happened. Of course, I had no I, I had no idea that would be the last time I see him and, you know, that I'd get to see that he was really happy that, that uh, you know, somebody had made a movie about his life. I, I'm, I'm very thankful that I had the opportunity to do that. I think from our perspective as well, I mean, Ravi and I never had the pleasure of meeting Dave, unfortunately. Um, we did actually talk to him online and he agreed to come on our podcast um, in the future, but obviously we, we never got the chance to speak to him. So being able to, you know, see his passion and hear his stories through your film is going to be something really interesting to us and all Amiga fans, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from what I've, you know, I didn't know him well or anything, but from what I've heard, he was just a class act and a guy with a real good heart. So what were the biggest challenges about making this film? <laughs> there was a lot, you guys. I need to explain to people who are probably, you know, a little, a little pissed by now that the film isn't out yet. You guys got to understand, uh, next time you watch a film or a documentary, please look at the list of credits, you know, which tend to go on for many minutes now on your average documentary. And then just remember that our credits list is not going to be very long. So that means that we weren't able to really work on a, a lot of the different parts of it. At the same time, I kind of had to go in order. Because, uh, look, I had to be a producer, a director, I had to be a writer, I had to be an editor, I had to be an animator, I had to be a sound mix guy. Um, it really a, was a skeleton crew here that got it done. But, you know, <laughs> in order to achieve the quality level that I wanted and really to do the Amiga justice, I, you know, that takes time. I wasn't, I wasn't going to slop this thing together. I could have easily just, you know, put those interviews in and cut them up a little, throw in some old B-roll or whatever, but uh, that, that, that's not good enough for me. Really, I think the challenges were just dealing with a, a ton of source footage and having a real high bar for quality that I wanted to achieve, and, and you know, we did it. It's done. From the uh, trailer, the kind of quality shines through as well. So That was the bar. I was like, okay, you know, this, this movie's got to look as good as it did in the trailer. I don't want any, you know, staring at a guy's head for 10 minutes and listening to him talk. We need to not only hear him talk, we need to see what he's talking about, and we need to see some cool animation. So that's what we did. What's the estimate? It takes, uh, it takes uh, one minute. It takes one hour to edit one minute of video, I think, is uh, the estimate. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's about right. I mean, yeah. if people really saw what I'd been through, they, they would understand. Because uh, I, I, you know, I did know what I was getting into when I started this. At the same time, I really didn't. Because, um, you know... There's all these other phases that I, that I hadn't been familiar with. Uh, as a video professional, a lot of my work dealt with, you know, just the shooting parts and the editing parts and the producing parts. But if you're making a film and you're actually going to release it with a distributor, like we are, you've got to worry about things like lawyers and copyrights and negotiations. And um, that's, that's where we're at right now. So uh, a lot of people love the Amiga. Why do you think it's so special? I think that the Amiga represents kind of a timeless alternative when it comes to computing platforms because the Amiga really did have a different kind of personality one that you could you could see the personalities and the interests of the Amiga um, of the of the creators of the Amiga by using it you know what I mean it had this strong personality and I think it's uh, you know I knew the computer was for me very quickly on Besides, you know, the whiz-bang graphics and stuff, I knew it was a computer for me because it really did work differently. And, you know, it worked It worked in a way that, that made sense to me, even more, I'd say, than the Macintosh does today, you know, 
which I, which I now use. I think a lot, yeah. of Amiga, a lot of Amiga fans might feel, you know, we're a little bit robbed back in the day that the, the Amiga was always more a better machine than the Mac. Would you not agree? But obviously it lost the war. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It was, it was better uh, along so many metrics. And, we, you know, we talk about that in the film. The greatest things don't always succeed in the marketplace. Just like, you know, the best beers are not going to be the most popular. You know, there's, there's market forces at work which define, you know, the, the quality of the products that we buy. And that's something we talk about in there. We've got a, we've got a young lady who's, um, you know, an economics and business um, expert. And she, uh, she, she speaks to that part. You know, when you're talking to the, um, obviously, the guys behind the Amiga, did you kind of get any um, sense of maybe a bit of bitterness that the Amiga didn't take off as big as it probably should have? <laughs> yeah, totally. It's totally, like, the, the bitterness would come out and then they would dial it back. They're like, <laughs> they're like, but I've moved on, don't worry. That's all in the past. <laughs> and, and then they'd be like, God, you know, if only, you know, if only the CDTV had, had this and that. I'm just like, okay, come on. <laughs> like, they're, they're still wrestling with the fact that they know there's nothing that they could have done, but they still wish, you know? They still well, wish they had another shot at it. And I would too. <laughs> well, that's a, a crazy thing that you kind of uh, cover in the film from what we've seen from the trailers, which is the life of Amiga, the fact that there's still people creating machines based on it. You know? Right. That is what, that's what the movie is about. I intended it to be a film that you could just pass it off to somebody who had never heard of the Amiga and be like, wow, you know, that was a, that was a thing I've never heard about that's pretty interesting because it's a real human story. You know, there's, there's been people that have tried to pull me in different directions. They're like, look, you know, games are the thing. You know, the UK was all about games. That's where your audience is. And just, you know, quite frankly, I didn't want to make a movie about games. I wanted to make a movie about, about people and their stories. And, uh, yeah, like I said, just be able to turn it over and say, this is what the Amiga was, how I saw it. And, um, you know, that's, that's what we've got. From the people you've spoken to then, and uh, your opinion as well, Zach, would be quite interesting. Um, what do you think was to blame for the downfall of the Amiga then? Uh, it's like, like, any, like any, anything in life, there's multiple reasons. You know, um, there's not one thing you can point to. I think you could definitely point to the fact that in the United States, um, you know, the PC having total dominance was a foregone conclusion. Um, I think that there were some strange things that went on in Commodore. Um, they could have stuck around longer with uh, proper management. Um, those are the two biggest things I think, you know, yeah, like just this propaganda that we see get in the United States. Like, look, if it's not PC compatible, it's useless. What are you going to do with this thing? And um, yeah, just the fact that the people that were running Commodore during the time of Amiga really didn't know what they were doing a lot of times. Well, uh, we also noticed another thing in the trailer, which was about new tech and the uh, video toaster. Oh, well, we've got Tim Jennison. Oh, wow. Yeah, we've got Tim Jennison in there. Um, he, he speaks to uh, the video toaster. We've got some really great uh, insider footage that I got from Tim Jennison. And just and just so everybody knows, every every interview you see in Viva Amiga, we've got those people talking at length about that topic. So he's only in it for a short time. But um, yeah, getting to hear, I mean, let me tell you, I used the video toaster for probably five years. It's it's an incredible invention. And to to meet him, to go to New Tech and you know, get the inside scoop from him was just awesome. I remember reading about the video toaster that I was probably only about like um eleven years old. I think I got a copy of Amiga format, and I was doing video at school. But um, it was way out of my price range. But I remember drooling over it and just seeing the screenshots. I mean, 
It really, do, do, I mean, it was massive in the television industry. Do you think it was really a, like a, a massive, pivotal, changing moment? It absolutely was. Um, I, I liken it to uh, YouTube now, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, YouTube and the low-cost video production tools that we have, it's essentially, you know, was like that, you know, back then. The difference being there really wasn't the, you know, robust platform that you can share video on. You know, we, you didn't have that back then. So that's another example. It was a little bit ahead of its time. Um, you know, the, 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 it really was a time, at least in the United States, like you would say, hey, look at this thing. You can create your own videos. Isn't that cool? And people would be like, well, why do you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? Everybody wants to make videos, right? You know what? You make a good point there as well, because I used to like mess around in deep paint and everything. And you'd make an animation, but you'd be like, well, you know what now? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's hard when you can't share it. Now it's just like, all right, click upload and, mm. and, and share it with the world. I guess the scene kind of thrived in America with the Amiga video scene because we never got the uh, video toaster, a PAL version. So it was all kind of Gendocks uh, and other yeah, small devices. I forgot that. Mm. I forgot that. No, it, it really was that cool. Of course, just so everybody knows the toaster, you couldn't just buy the toaster. You, you're you in for at least another few thousand dollars uh, after that to get it right. But, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was all that. I, I used it for about four or five years in a professional context in the late 90s. Um, just doing uh, simple videos for a small company here. So from the, obviously you've been going around showing the um, movie and bits of the movie at various Amiga and retro shows around the world. Um, And Ravi and I were lucky enough to see some of the film in Amsterdam. What's the reaction been like from those that have seen the film? They love it. Um, They they get floored. You know, um, uh, what I do is I don't look at the screen, I just look at the faces. And, you know, I see people's eyes light up and... I can tell they're going back to that time, you know, in, in their heads when the Amiga was was out and, and just how fun it was and what a what a big deal it, it was, you know. Um, the, the reaction has been very positive. L- thank God, because I was I was worried, you know, I spent all this time. I know the movie's a little late. I hope that people actually do like it. And, and they do. And they and um, I was able to kind of quiet some people who had been worried you know, if the thing's actually going to be finished, I'm like, okay, here, look, just take a look at this scene. And they're like, okay. <laughs> it was worth the wait. <laughs> so um, what form of distribution are you planning for the movie? Um, it's basically going to be all of the, all of the um, non-theatrical forms that are, are possible. We have a distribution com- uh, deal with a company called Film Buff. Um, if you take a look at their website, you can see that, um, you know, that they're a decent player. They've got some great films, uh, you know, on, uh, in their catalog. Right after the Kickstarter, they contacted me originally and they're like, when's it coming out? We want it. And, um, you know, we shopped the film. Uh, once I got it, you know, to a watchable phase here, we, we shopped it around to some different people, entered some film festivals. And in the end, uh, I just went back, went, went with them because they seemed to really believe in the movie. So the answer is, yeah, we, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have uh, some physical, you know, DVD, hopefully Blu-ray, but then all streaming platforms, iTunes, Amazon, any way we can get it to you, that's how we plan to do it. And uh, Film, Film Buff will be in charge of that part. Well, Zach, the question that you know all Amiga fans want to know then who've been keeping up with this project, when is the film going to be out? You were looking at five weeks, five weeks. I know I've Ooh. said this kind of thing before, but uh, yeah, we're looking at about five weeks. I've got a, we've just got a couple of things to button up here on the music rights, and um, we've got the finished film. We're cleaning up the poster. Five weeks, guys. It's like I just got to pray for the right mojo. Nothing to, you know, <laughs> screw me up here on the end because I brought it this far. I tell you guys, don't worry no matter what because it's coming out. 
Like if, you know, if I had to give it away, I would. Well, I know from what we've seen in the film, it does look incredible and we, we've been really excited to see it. So uh, yeah, the next five weeks can't go quick enough. Yeah, cool, cool thanks. Yeah, and uh, you know, keep your eyes out for Viva Amiga 2. There probably isn't enough for a second movie in your uh, cut scenes, I bet, yeah? We are absolutely going to do that. I've got so much footage and I've got so many stories. There's no reason not to do kind of, you know, I won't, I won't spend years on it. We'd like to do something that's a little more, you know, just for the fans. That was the thing about Viva Amiga. Uh, it's going to be some stuff that people already know, you know, if they know about the Amiga, but you know, the, the, the sequel is going to be the sequel and the extras are going to give you more inside stuff. So uh, we plan to deliver that too. If people want to keep up with the film and find out more, where can they uh, visit? Megafilm.com and, you know, and, uh, and check updates on Kickstarter updates on the uh, Kickstarter page. We're going to do a website relaunch in the next couple three weeks. And um, yeah, find out a way to, you know, keep keep people a little bit more up to date i do want to apologize to people uh for the sometimes lack of updates um the fact is um you know here going forward what i've learned as a filmmaker is that i need to hire somebody that's going to take care of that for me because um you know it's it's a job in itself this social media thing you guys and you know every time every you know when i get on facebook i'm like i don't want to tell them something not important you know or something that might not turn out to be true but in the future yeah we're gonna and, and for the rollout, we're going to have people that will be in charge of that. So you can, you know, you can get the, the latest information. Excellent. Well, thank you for talking to us, Zach. And we'd love you're to welcome, get you. guys. And I want to say thank oh. you. Like, it means everything to me that you're going to reach out and support the film through this whole this whole long arc. And so I, I, I could not have done it without the Amiga fans. It really the film really is all about the fans. Like, it's 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 not about me. It's not my movie. And I've never wanted to own it. You know what I mean? Like. That's one thing that kind of gets a little tricky with the Amiga. It's like, oh, who does it belong to? Like, who does this belong to? It belongs to all you guys because I know you're all a bunch of people like me and you just love this thing and it, it still means something to you. So it's just great that it's getting a proper movie, you know, that, that, that excites me. Yeah, still. finally, a swan song <laughs> for the Amiga. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that's the name of the last chapter in the movie, too. Okay. <laughs> well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. You're, you're welcome, guys. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. 